Well, hey, what's going on, Harvest? How's everyone doing this morning? Good, it's good to be here with you this weekend. Uh, happy Fourth of July weekend. Hopefully you guys all have something fun going on this afternoon. Uh, but for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Adam, and I'm the middle school pastor here at Harvest. And you know, it's good to be preaching to some adults this weekend. So thank you for being here. <laughs> uh, no, actually our middle schoolers are a wonderful audience. They are very interactive and a lot of fun to preach to. Um, and you know, as we are here together this morning, like I, I know how this goes, like I'm, I'm a new speaker, like I've, I've been in your seat before where like you're kind of figuring out who I am, like am I gonna do a good job, do you like my style, that kind of thing. And I just want you to know that this is a two-way street that we're on this morning, because I'm like silently judging you guys against the middle schoolers and how well they listen to me. And that's a higher standard than you think that it is. Um, but, you know, a little bit more about me, for those of you who don't know me. Um, I've been married to my wife, Haley, for eight years. I'm actually to be eight years in August that we were married on this stage, which is pretty cool. And we've been a part of this church uh, really since it started and just have grown so much here being a part of this family. Um, we have, at this point now, two little boys, Leo and Oliver. Um, I've got a picture of them, because I wouldn't be a new speaker if I didn't have a picture of my family. Um, this is Leo meeting his younger brother, Oliver, for the first time just a couple months ago. If that's not just like the purest face of joy, I don't know what is. Um, but you'll hear more about him and his love for his little brother, Ollie, in a little bit. But um, today I have the privilege of kicking off a brand new series that we're going to be in this summer together called The Gospel Changes Everything. So in this series, what we're going to do is you're going to have the opportunity to hear from different voices, um, some people that you know, some people that you haven't heard like me. And the underlying theme to all of these messages that we're going through together is how the gospel has changed and transformed each of our lives in the hopes that it would do the same thing for you, either for the first time or in just a new and fresh way. And so as we do that this morning, if you would open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34, that's where we're going to be camping out together today. And while you're turning there, let me just pray over our time together. Um, Father, thank you for this morning and just the opportunity to be gathered together as a family to open up your word. And Lord, just very thankful for this scripture in my own life and how it has changed and transformed me and my life. And so Lord, as we go to this, uh, this word together today, I just pray that it would do the same thing for people in this room today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a little bit more about me. So I have been on staff at this church for three years now. Um, but before that, I actually had a different career. Um, I worked in physical therapy and worked at a clinic out in Grand Rapids for about six years. And so college for me, preparing for that was actually Baker College in Muskegon um, in their PTA program. And I just remember being a part of that program. It's just being very, very competitive and just having to study really, really hard for most of the exams that we would have. And there's this one exam in particular that stands out to me that I just was like studying really, really hard for. And I remember sitting down for this exam the next day and then like reading through the questions on this exam. And then in a moment of like shock and panic, realizing, oh no, I studied the wrong chapters for this test. Has that ever happened to anyone? Anyone have like panic and anxiety rising up in their body right now just thinking of that? Like for me, like that's what my stress dreams are now. It's not like, I don't know, people have like the teeth falling out thing. For me, it's just like being entirely underprepared for an exam. But I just remember like thinking, man, I studied so hard. I thought I had the right information. When it came to the moments that it mattered, I did not have the right information that I needed. 
And you know, this can happen to us obviously in our college and school career, um, but this can also happen to us in our faith as well. And this is something that actually happens to me growing up where I thought I had the right information, but it turned out that I was wrong. And for me, I think maybe it was just a combination of the church tradition that I was raised in, but also just my own temperament as like a perfectionist. And for any of you like Enneagram people out there, like an Enneagram one, um, the perfectionist reformer, very critically minded. Um, but I had this early understanding of my God, just being very judgmental, very critical, um, just very angry at the world in general, and just not very interested in who I was. And so what I realized after some time is that I had the wrong information about who my God was. And so I had to restart and rebuild that understanding so that I had an accurate and biblical understanding of who my God was. And so that's what I want to do for you today, is give you the on-ramp to a right understanding of who your God is, and because that has been so formational for me in my life, and I hope that it can be for you as well. And listen, I can, I can confidently stand before you today saying, I have the right information for you. I'm not giving you the wrong information, because what we're going to walk through today is the word of God, like coming out of his mouth saying, this is who I am. And so here's why this is important for us to know, and this is our big idea for today, is that the way that I think about God will influence the person that I become. The way that I think about God will influence the person that I become. And here's what I mean by that. Um, we are all created to bear the image of our God, to be like him. And so we will become like the God that we worship or really whatever it is that we worship. So it is so important that we have the right information on who our God is so that we can become like that God. Um, so let's go to our passage, Exodus 34, starting in verse 5. And a little bit of background to where we are in this story. Um, obviously, the people of Israel, they have been freed from the land of Egypt, and they are traveling now on their way to the promised land. But they take um, like a year-long pit stop at Mount Sinai. And so what's happening at Mount Sinai is the people of God, they are being joined together with their God in a covenant relationship. Essentially, what's happening here is a marriage ceremony between God and his people. And so they um, are going through like the terms of this relationship, the terms of this covenant. And Moses, um, in this amazing moment in Exodus 34, he asks to see the glory of God. And so God, he puts him up in the cleft of a rock and covers his face and lets all of his goodness pass before him. And the last moment, he allows him to see just the tail end of his glory. And then he declares his name and his character to Moses, which is what we're going to read here in verse 5. And just one quick note before we start. Um, in, in your Bibles, you probably see LORD in all caps there. So what that means is that the author, or God, he is referring to himself by his personal name, which is Yahweh. So we're going to read these verses, um, putting Yahweh in the place of Lord. So starting in verse 5, it says, Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. And Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children of the third and the fourth generation." 
And so what's um, really amazing about this verse is that this verse, or this passage right here, is the most quoted or referenced passage in all of Scripture. So like you and I, we have like our John 3.16s and our Galatians 2.20 or whatever verse you have in the entryway of your home or is like embroidered on the pillow at your grandmother's house, right? Like we've all got those verses, but the Bible, the Bible has Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And so whenever the biblical authors are referring back to the character of God, most of the time they are quoting from these two verses here. Um, so together as a middle school ministry this past year, um, we actually walked through these two verses and went through all of the attributes of God just to study who our God is. And it was an awesome time together that we had. Um, but I don't know if you caught like the tail end of verse seven, but it gets like, it gets just a little bit dark towards the end of there. Um, in the NIV, it actually says it this way. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. And something about that just made for like a really good middle school message, you know? <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, we don't get to cover that today, but it really is just a wonderful conversation on God in his perfect justice. Um, but today we're going to focus on the first part of verse six together, which says, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. Or other translations say, Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate and a gracious God. And so this is where we're going to draw our first point together today, which is that God's primary emotion towards you is compassion. God's primary emotion towards you and towards me is compassion. So here's what's interesting about how like ancient Hebrew authors would write or God speaking through ancient Hebrew authors would write. When they were ordering lists by their importance, they would always start with the most important thing that they had to say and work their way down from there, which is kind of counterintuitive to how you and I like build our arguments today. Because I feel like we always save the best for last. We want to build up to our strongest, best point and like land on that point. But actually the Hebrew authors, when they would make these lists, they always started with the most most important thing that they had to say. And so when we hear God here um, describing himself, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is that he is compassionate and gracious. Listen, I have to believe that God, he could have ordered his words any way that he wanted. He could have said anything about himself first and foremost. Like he could have talked about his omniscience or his omnipotence, or he could have talked about like his justice or his righteous anger. But no, like when God describes himself, he starts with the most important thing about him, and that is his compassion and his grace. And so this idea of compassion in the Hebrew, the root of this word actually carries with it the idea of a nursing mother caring for her infant and the way that she feels towards the infant that she's caring for. It's like, I, I don't know anything about that. My wife does because of our three-month-old Oliver. Um, but I have to believe, like, I've felt some of this kind of compassion towards my two boys. You know, I was talking at the beginning about Leo and his love for his little brother, Ali. And like, this is a real thing. And our task as parents has not so much been like making sure that Leo's okay with like the lack of attention. Like our task has been making sure that Leo does not smother Oliver with all of his love and his affection. It's like a real thing. So like 20 times a day, he'll be doing whatever he's doing. And then he just bolts over to Ali and like tries to jump on top of him and just like rub his face in Ali's face because he thinks that's what kisses are. And so that's like, that's been our task. And so most of the time we're on top of it, but every once in a while we're not, uh, which happened two weeks ago. Um, and at the expense of you thinking maybe we're irresponsible parents, like I'll tell you this story. Um, so we were preparing a bath for Ollie in the kitchen sink. And so we put him just down on our bed and just left him there just for a couple minutes. 
Um, and Leo, he was running around, but then like, it just got too quiet, right? Like the cliche, like it's too quiet in the house. Like that's what was happening. And so in that silence, Haley and I were getting ready for Ollie's bath. And then out of nowhere, we just hear thud and then ah, screaming from the bedroom. And we go running in there. And what we see is Leo standing over top of Ollie, laying on the ground crying. And Leo, he's standing there with his two little, two-year-old little hand just going, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. And so what had happened was like, he wanted to kiss Ollie, but he couldn't quite reach him up on the bed. So he dragged him off of the bed to give him kisses. And in that moment, like we're, we're panicking. We scoop up Ollie, make sure that he's okay. And he was okay. And Haley really wanted me to make sure that you knew like our bed's not that high off the ground. And he, he really, really was okay. Um, but Leo, he's standing there and he like, he knows that he messed up. He knows it. But in that moment, like our hearts for Leo, it was not like judgment and anger. It was compassion and it was grace. And we scooped him up just to make sure that he knew like, you're not in trouble. It was just an accident. But like that feeling right there, that emotion that Haley and I had for him, like that is the same image of what our God feels towards us. That's what he's trying to convey to you and to me when he says that he is compassionate and gracious, that he is a loving parent, caring. And so for you and I today, as we shape our image of who our God is, when we construct that idea in our head, we have to make sure that we put compassion and grace at the forefront of our understanding of who our God is. And so maybe, maybe for you today, like it's not hard to understand a God who's compassionate and gracious towards children who are obedient and not pulling their little brothers off of the bed and like just doing a good job. But it is hard to imagine maybe a God who is still compassionate and gracious to children who are not obedient and are in rebellion and in sin. But here's the next thing that we have to understand about our God and his compassion is that you and I will experience God's compassion regardless of where we are. You know, we experience God's compassion regardless of where we are. So before we continue in our Exodus story, it's really important to understand what has just happened right before Exodus 34. So if you would, turn in your Bibles back two chapters to Exodus chapter 32. So again, the Israelites, they are at Mount Sinai to join into a covenant relationship with their God. And to this point, um, they have like entered into this ceremony of sorts and they have exchanged the terms of the relationship. They have received the 10 commandments. They've agreed to um, abide by the 10 commandments. And so Moses, he has gone back up onto the mountain to get the rest of the instruction from the Lord of who they are to be as a people. And so that's where we are in Exodus chapter 32. And here's what it says. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And so if you would, just go back in your minds to Exodus chapter 20, where I know you know the 10 commandments. And the first two commandments that we have there, you shall have no other gods before me. And number two, you shall, make, uh, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. And so here we are just days after having received that instruction. 
and they are breaking the vows that they have just made to their God. Like this, this is the context in which we have Exodus 34, six and seven. God, he has just been betrayed by his people. He's been cheated on, like right in the marriage ceremony. And yet he's still moved by compassion and grace towards his people. Listen, it doesn't mean that there weren't consequences or there weren't like steps of obedience that they would have to take. And we'll get to that in a minute. But what you need to see is that God, his disposition towards them was still that of compassion and grace, even though they had just turned to idolatry and sin in the middle of this covenant ceremony. Listen, this is just like not who you and I are. Like, this is certainly not who I am. And just like thinking back over my life and my inability to show compassion. Unfortunately, like the recipient of the least amount of compassion for me is like my younger brother, Aaron. And some of you know him. He's the worship pastor over at Harvest Fremont. So... So I tell you this story, like he's, he's good, he's a pastor now. Um, but growing up, like he was the rebel of the family. Like he, he was the rebel and I was the legalist. He was breaking all the rules and I was following all the rules for the wrong reasons. And so back in high school, he and I were homeschooled and um, we were home doing schoolwork or yeah, I, I was home doing schoolwork, he was not. He was off in town somewhere with one of his friends. And I just remember being home alone, my parents were off at work and then there was a knock at the door. And so I go down and answer the door and there before me stands a police officer. <laughs> and that police is like, hey, um, are your parents home? I'm like, no, they are not. And he's like, well, I'm gonna need to talk to them because I have your brother in the back of my police cruiser. He was caught stealing from one of the local shops. And in that moment, there was not an ounce of compassion in my heart towards my younger brother. And as he walked into the house, like, like God's like compassionate and gracious heart was so far from me. And in that moment, it was just like me thinking, Aaron, I'm so much better than you, you stupid punk criminal. Like as he walked through, there was just nothing in my heart for him that like resembled compassion. But listen, that, that is not who our God is. Our God, he is slow to anger and he is quick to compassion, despite Israel being caught in their rebellion and in their sin. Um, his compassion is not an enabling emotion, but it is an invitational emotion. And he willingly invited the Israelites back into covenant relationship with him. And so for you and I today, we, we are just like Israel. But what we have to remember is that the same God of Exodus 34 is the God that we worship and serve today. And so for you and I, we still experience that same compassion and grace from God first and foremost. And we experience that compassion chiefly in the person of Jesus and his death on the cross for us. So when we look at the story of Jesus through the gospels, like you can't go more than just a couple of chapters without seeing the words compassion or grace or mercy. Like that is just who he was and how he operated towards the people that were in and around him. Um, Charles Spurgeon, he said it well when he said, um, if you would sum up the whole character of Christ in reference to ourselves, it might be gathered into this one sentence that he was moved with compassion. And so despite us in our sin, in our rebellion, in our imperfection, the compassion of Jesus led him to the cross in our place for our sin. You know, Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So where, where is it that you find yourself today? Because sin and shame, it will try to take you far away from the presence of God and try to hide the compassionate and gracious character of your God. But here's what I want you to hear today, is that you have a God who is a loving father looking down at you as his vulnerable child 
God's primary emotion towards you is that of compassion and grace, regardless of where you are and what you've done. And his compassion is an invitation back into relationship with him. But like I said earlier, the compassion that he experiences towards us, it is not an enabling emotion, but it is an invitational emotion. And so this is our third point for today, that God's compassion should move me to obedience. God's compassion should move me to obedience. And so it's important that when we talk about God's compassion and we see God's compassion on display in scripture, that when you see it there, it is almost always paired with an action. And that action is deliverance out of rebellion and sin back into relationship with him. And so going back to our Exodus story, go back to Exodus chapter 34. And what we have right after those two verses where God is declaring his name and his character to his people is we have Moses stepping forward as the, the advocate on behalf of the people of Israel. And in verse eight, it says, and Moses, he quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us for it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. And so Moses acting as this advocate for Israel, he goes before the Lord in repentance and God, he renews the covenant relationship with his people. And it was God's compassion and his grace that made that way available for the Israelites to come back into relationship with him. And so for you and for me, living in the reality of the compassion and grace of Jesus Christ as he died on the cross for our sins, we have to make sure that as we claim that compassion for ourselves, that we are being moved by obedience back into relationship with him. And if we don't do that, if we just carry on living our own life in our own wisdom, in our sins, still we're acting like the compassion and grace of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross is a cheap grace. And that grace is certainly not a cheap grace. And there's this book um, called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And this man, he was a German pastor during the time of Nazi Germany. And he has an amazing life. He's a pastor and a theologian. And he was doing all kinds of underground ministry, um, including like running seminaries for young pastors to raise them up in this time. But in this book, The Cost of Discipleship, the study on the Sermon on the Mount, he speaks to this mentality that we can get into of taking advantage of the grace of Jesus Christ. And there's this quote from this book that really has moved me and convicted me. It says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. And it's absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. But costly grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life, and it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. And it's costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. And above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what, God, what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. 
And so what Bonhoeffer is saying is that if we accept and live in the compassion and grace of God that has been made available to us through the death of Jesus Christ, and we just carry on in our own sin, in our own ways, in our own wisdom, we are treating the death of Jesus Christ as if, as if it were cheap and it wasn't a big deal. And this is something that we are so guilty of all the time, where we claim the grace of Jesus Christ, we live in that, but then we choose not to follow him, just thinking that we're covered by that grace. But a right understanding of the compassion and the grace that we experience through God and his love that was uh, on display through Jesus and his death on the cross understands that we should follow him, abandoning anything that would prevent us from following him in full obedience. And so for, for you this morning, like what, what is that obedience that God is calling you into? What is, the, what is the compassion and grace of God calling you to step into today? If you happen to need help with that, I'd love to just make that simple for all of us today. You know, we started off with the big idea of the way that I think about God will influence the person that I become. And so if we understand that God's primary disposition towards you and towards me is that of compassion and grace, and we are claiming that compassion for ourselves in Jesus Christ, then very simply, we should be compelled in obedience to show compassion regardless of who others are. We should show compassion regardless of who others are. Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And so for me, like this has been the great project of my life over the course of the last 10 years. Like I, I am just not naturally someone who is a compassionate person. And so like growing up in my life, like I talked about, like I had a misunderstanding of who my God was. I thought he was this angry, judgmental God. And, you know, I had created this idea of a God who honestly was just more a reflection of my heart than he was the God of the Bible. And so because of that, I became a judgmental person to my, my family and to my friends and to the world around me. Like ask my brother, like I wasn't a very fun person to be around. Um, but like through, through that understanding of God, I became like the God that I was worshiping worshiping in my head. And it wasn't until I encountered the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ that I understood that my understanding of who God was was incomplete and I was operating on the wrong information. And so it was that gospel message of compassion and grace where I began to understand God's actual heart for me. And so when I was able to live in that compassion and grace that I understood was coming from my Savior and my God, it began to transform the way that I thought about who he was. And in doing that, it also began to change and shape who I was to become. And so that has been like the great project for me is trying to become like the God that I worship, trying to become an agent of the compassion that I've experienced through him to the world around me. And so for you today, knowing that your God is a compassionate and a gracious God, are you his compassionate image to everyone around you, regardless of who they are? And so if you struggle to answer yes to that question, I've got two like questions of reflection for you that can help us think through how to change our hearts to become more like Jesus. The first question is, do you have a right understanding of who your God is? Or are you like me, where you're operating on a misunderstanding of, the, of who God is? Like, do you have other characteristics of, characteristics of God taking that first place? 
And if that's the case for you, what I would encourage you in is that you would go to Exodus 34, 6 and 7, that you would memorize that passage, write those words on your heart so that you can meditate on who your God is and correct that understanding of who your God is saying that he is so that then you can become like the God that you worship. And number two, um, are you preventing God's compassion from forming you into a compassionate person? And, you know, I think for the most part, like, we're all pretty hit and miss on this one. I think for, for most of us, like, um, there are a certain type of people that we just don't struggle to show compassion towards. And it's usually because they're like us and we understand how they work and how they operate. And so we can have compassion on people that we understand. But then there's this other category of people that we just really struggle to show compassion towards. And it's because we don't quite understand how they operate or why they make the decisions that they make. And we can't muster up an ounce of compassion towards those people. And so if you would allow me, just as like one of the pastors at the church that you attend, to give you some instruction in this and, and to suggest a spiritual practice for you to grow in compassion, that practice would be intercession, um, intercessory prayer. So Jesus, in Matthew 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount, um, he is giving a message to his disciples. And he says um, in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or in other words, you should become like the God that you worship. So what Jesus is saying is that he wants you, just like God, to show compassion on those around you because God, he is showing his compassion and grace and he's blessing those, even those who are evil and unjust. And in the same way, we should seek the blessing and the good of those who are against us. So what I want you to do right now in, in, in this moment is just to conjure up in your mind someone, or maybe it's just the category of people that you struggle to show compassion towards. And so as a means of developing a heart of compassion like our God, my encouragement to you is to pray daily on behalf of those people. That is the practice of intercession, that you would think about those people and pray for them on a daily and on a regular basis. Here's, here's what I don't mean. Here's, here's what Jesus didn't mean about pray for them. It's not a prayer that goes like this. Like, God, just please change them. Like, just make them into someone that I can actually show compassion towards because that would just be so much easier for me. Like, that's, that is a selfish prayer that we're like, we want them to change to accommodate us. And that is not what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. What he is saying is that he wants you to pray a blessing over those people, that that person would experience God's goodness and God's grace and God's blessing on on their life exactly where they are. Like that is the practice of intercession to develop a compassionate heart, just like our God. And so listen, I have been working on this message over the last week and a half. And you know, for me, it's really important that as I get up here and like preach to you guys or to our middle school students, that like I allow these things to shape and form me before I bring it to you. And so I've been working myself in the last week on this practice of intercession, praying for those that I struggle to show compassion towards. And I promise it's none of you in this room here. Um, but like, guess what? It's really stinking hard to do. <laughs> 
Um, but here, here's what I know. I know that my God is a compassionate and a gracious God, and that is his primary disposition towards me and towards others, regardless of who we are. And my Savior was so compassionate and gracious that he went to the cross to die in my place for my sin. And so with that understanding, out of an act of obedience, I want to become just like my Savior and just like my God and become a compassionate person to those who are around me, regardless of who they are. You know, the same should go for you, that this week, that you would be obedient to your God by becoming like him, a God who is compassionate and gracious, who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you for your word. And God, thank you for your specific words that we hear from Exodus 34, six and seven, that you would um, count it significant enough to give us from your own mouth, your character and what you want us to know about who you are. And so God, this morning, as we um, rest on these words, I just pray that they would transform our hearts and our lives, that we would become like you, a God who is good, who's compassionate and gracious, Lord. And so that we go out from this place that we would become agents of your compassion because of the compassion that we experience in Jesus. And that compassion would be an invitation to the people around us into your love and into your family, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.